And so this is where me and our men can lock arms and agree that your beliefs do not influence physical reality. And either God exists or he does not, independent of our beliefs. And therefore, we have to do the work of finding evidence and good reasons to believe whether he does or does not exist, and then base our beliefs on that. Well, it is common to hear people believe or claim that because a belief is so widely accepted, therefore it must be true. Everyone believes it, so clearly that must be true, or at least there must be some sort of truth in that claim. This is the topic and the title of chapter five of Armin Navabi's book, Why There Is No God, 20 Simple Responses to 20 Common Arguments for God. Specifically, the chapter title is Belief in God Would Not Be So Widespread if God did not exist. And I, hey, if you've been following this series, this is part five of my series uh, working through this book. And I think uh, the reason why I'm trying to kind of work through this is because, uh, look, I'm trying to help you interact with ideas and with comments and with um, arguments coming from different perspectives. Next week, actually, I'm not going to be having a conversation on this book because next week, the plan right now is to have a conversation with the New Evangelicals. Tim from the New Evangelicals uh, is going to come on. We uh, strongly disagree. He maybe, I don't know if he considers himself a progressive Christian, but he kind of lines up more in that camp. Uh, and we strongly disagree on things like marriage and sexuality and cultural ways in which Christians should interact politically. And so he's going to come on the show to kind of have a conversation about how we need to address these certain cultural topics from a biblical perspective and taking a very different approach than I would. And so I'm trying to kind of introduce you to these sort of conversations um, as well as uh, consider them and think through them. Because if someone on the other side, let's say for the example in today's show, an atheist has an argument or a, a point about a certain Christian argument that's a good one, maybe we as Christians need to reconsider the arguments that we're making. If what we're presenting is fallacious or has a hole in it or is not really backed by evidence like we think it is, we need to, I think, form better arguments. And so seeing how people criticize the arguments that we make hopefully will make us better at the presenting the arguments for God. And so this series is a hopefully think through what he's considering and allow that to help us form better, more persuasive arguments for the truth of Christianity. Because what I've at least tried to show so far in the first four chapters is I don't think the ultimate argument that he has of showing reasons why there is no God, I don't think it goes through. And so um, we're going to be talking about another section day. And again, there's 20 of these chapters. And right now the plan is to discuss all 20. I don't know if we'll get there, uh, but hey, if, if there's no pushback and so far people have enjoyed it, uh, we're going to keep going. Uh, by the way, yeah, we have covered things like science can't uh, explain complexity. Therefore, there must be God. God is proven by scripture. Uh, God is exists because of miraculous events. And then lastly, because morality stems from God, therefore God exists. Today we're talking about the widespread belief of, of religions and Christianity in particular. Um, and then in future weeks, it's, it's uh, topics about prayer. Um, I have a personal relationship with God. It's safer to believe in God and be wrong than not believe in him and be uh, right. And or then, yeah, anyways, the youthful, or not the youthful, the... Um, uh, Pascal's wager. And so these are some of the topics coming up. Now, before I jump into the chapter uh, this week, I do want to make you aware of two things. Number one, 
is that this weekend, if you are in Southern California this weekend, I want to invite you to come join me at the Maven Conference. Every February, Maven puts on their annual conference in Laguna Hills, California, and this year it's focusing on the theme of Illuminate, how God's Word illuminates every single area of our life. There are going to be speakers like Jay Werner Wallace and Kathy Cook, Brett Kunkel, Eric Tonis, and more will be there. It's going to be an incredible weekend. It's Friday and Saturday. Um, you can go to mavenconferences.com for more information. And then if you use the coupon code THINKWELL25, you can get 25% off at your checkout. So I want to encourage you to check that out and come join us at the Maven Conference this week. And I also want to let you know, and now this is specifically for students out there, that this summer, July 14 through 20, I'm going to be leading a Maven Immersive Experience out to Utah. We're going to be doing intensive training beforehand and then having a week in Utah, engaging in conversations with people who have different theological beliefs than we do. And so uh, right now during the month of February and a little bit into March, we have an application for a full ride scholarship. And this is for any high school or college student. And the beautiful thing is that all students who fill out the scholarship application will receive $200 off the cost of the trip simply for filling out that application if you're not chosen. Obviously, if you're chosen, you get a full ride. Uh, but if you're not chosen, you get $200 off, which is amazing. So I want to encourage you to check that out. Uh, there you can find it at maventruth.com slash open enrollment. You go to maventruth.com and, and go to the open enrollment tab. Uh, you can get some more information there. So uh, those are the two quick announcements I want to throw out. There are ways that you can either join me this weekend or join me this summer and continue to grow in, in understanding different aspects of culture and, and Christianity and be more faithful followers, disciples of Jesus Christ. Again, this show is Think Well, uh, where I'm trying to train you to think well about the Christian faith and the culture so that we can engage the culture well. And in order to engage the culture well, we have to understand the culture. We have to study the culture and the people that we're talking to. And that's the exact reason why I'm doing this series. One person in the comment section thought I was deconstructing right in front of them. They said, whoa, is this a deconstruction right in front of our, their, our eyes? Uh, no, I'm not deconstructing. And I think it's it's interesting that that comment is made. The fact that I'm reading a book written by an atheist that is contrary to my beliefs and discussing it makes it look like I'm open to these ideas, or at least am being persuaded by them, and eventually I'm going to accept the ideas. I did respond by saying, interestingly enough, by reading this book, and actually other books that have been uh, recommended to me by atheists, after reading them, um, I'm often more convinced of my position because I see that the objections that are often given to show why these arguments are not good, I don't personally think those objections go through. They, they don't carry much weight. And I go, wow, I, I see a lot of holes and problems in them. And I have to walk away more confident in my beliefs. And so the testing of my faith has left it stronger not weaker. So no, I'm not deconstructing uh, right in front of you. The other thing I do want to mention, and this is why I love YouTube comments, is that one uh, individual commented um, about the nature of being a good person that I talked about last week. So the idea last week was morality stems from God, and without God, you can't be good people. And I said, atheists can be good people. Of course they can. They can uh, do nice things. They can tell the truth, and they can show love to someone. They can do these things that are good things. Now, this kind of seems to contradict uh, what I say in my talks on why God allows evil, where I say, no one is good, right? This is what Jesus taught when they said, hey, good teacher. And he says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. For our good, our, our good deeds are like filthy rags, as scripture talks about. Um, and that doing a good thing does not make you a good person. 
And so I think we're talking about being a good person in two different senses here. If we want to take a strict kind of theological understanding, uh, then the answer is no one is good. <laughs> we are all, uh, only God is good. And so in that sense, well, Christians aren't good and, and non-Christians aren't good. It's only because I've been clothed by the righteousness of Jesus that I can be considered and counted as righteous. Uh, but I myself, I'm not good. I need Jesus. And so uh, in that sense, no one is. Only God is good. But in the sense I was talking about last week is you're a good person when you can, can an atheist do good things? Can an atheist tell the truth? Can an atheist hug his wife? Can the atheist take care of his kids? Of course an atheist can. And therefore the atheist can be a good person, just like a Christian can be a good person doing good things. And so I'm talking more about that surface level goodness rather than that deeper sense. So um, I thought maybe that could use a quick clarification. I think that's all the things off the top of my mind. So with that, let me just say this as we jump in. I have a shorter commentary today on this chapter. I think it's pretty uh, more straightforward. I agree with a lot. And so there's going to be a lot of agreement here. And so, uh, again, if you are watching on Instagram or YouTube, put a question or comment in the live chat that you want to talk about. I see that one hour has already come in. Uh, or you have the opportunity, if you're on YouTube, uh, to, to click on that link there uh, and join me for a conversation. Your audio will come through, not your video. And you can actually join me and, and talk through a question or something that has come up, an objection or whatever it may be, whatever's on your mind, uh, you can uh, talk through that with me. So I encourage you uh, to do that, and I will have time for those questions afterwards. So uh, start posting them if you have them. Um, and again, if you're listening after the fact, uh, every 2 p.m. Uh, at Tuesday, 2 p.m. Pacific time, uh, we're going to be doing this. So without anything else, let's jump in. Chapter 5, belief in God would not be so widespread if God did not exist. Um, here's where I'm going to have, like I said, a lot of agreement with Armin Navabi, again, the founder of Atheist Republic, writing this book, Why There Is No God, Simple Responses to 20 Common Arguments for the Existence of God. Um, and he says, look, religious people make up the majority of the world's population. Uh, that is true. Hey, Phantom X, good to see you back. Uh, religious people are, are, are overwhelmingly the majority of the world's population when you count all religions up together. And, I, and Christians are, uh, as far as the last numbers I saw, uh, the largest religious group um, among all the different religions. However, uh, he then says, um, if you then say that, um, let's see, where does he say here? Okay. The cultures of the world have been heavily shaped by religion throughout the centuries. It's easy to assume then that the beliefs that are so widespread must have some kernel of truth. After, after all, how could so many people believe in God if they were true? Um, so this is where I would say, look, I agree. Just because a lot of people believe something does not make it true. He goes on and says, there's many problems with this line of reasoning. There is. And we can think of examples throughout all of human history where uh, one example that he uses is that there was a time period where the majority of the people in the world believed that the earth was the center of our solar system and the sun went around the earth. Just because everyone believed it does not make that true. Everyone was wrong. You know, as, as I talk to students, it's, it's very common for people, Christians and non-Christians, to fall back on this belief of, well, this is the popular opinion, or this is what everyone believes, or, you know, if everyone believed it, then that's what we would all believe. And it's like, well, true, in a sense. Like, if everyone did believe something, and then I was in school being taught that the earth is the center of the solar system, then I would probably believe that too. But as I titled this video, your beliefs do not change reality. 
The fact that everyone believed the Earth was the center of our solar system did not mean that the Earth actually changed locations with the Sun and became the center. And then when we changed our understanding, went, oh no, the Sun is the center, they did not switch spots. Uh, we were all wrong, and now we're right. And so our beliefs are true or false based on how they match reality. Our beliefs do not make reality true. This is a very postmodern idea that if a Christian is using this argument, I think this Christian has been influenced by a postmodern worldview, worldview that says there is no ultimate truth. The best we have is our own personal experience, our personal beliefs, and our beliefs kind of construct reality. And so this is where the atheist, Armin Navabi, and me will go, yes, we stand arms linked for this. Your beliefs don't change reality. You need evidence. We need to search and discover and look at reality to then come back and figure out, okay, what should I believe and have my beliefs match the world around me? Um, and so uh, I agree fully here. He goes, simply stated, the truth is true even if no one believes it. And it's untrue claims are still untrue even if everyone believes them. And I want to say, yes, Absolutely. The truth is true, whether no one believes it, and it's untrue. Now, here's the caveat. Here's a, a thought here. Atheist Bart Ehrman uh, has a video on YouTube where uh, someone is asking him about uh, whether Jesus was really a historical person, this kind of Jesus mythicist, the person that believes that Jesus maybe is just a myth and didn't actually exist. Um, is there any credibility to that? And Bart Ehrman goes, look, he goes, you're doing yourself a disservice when you make these kind of claims that uh, Jesus did not exist. He goes, look, there is no scholar of ancient history or New Testament or antiquities or early Roman Empire, all, and he kind of goes over all these different areas, literature, that would believe that Jesus did not exist. Um, and then he goes, look, that is not evidence. That's not evidence. That's not, doesn't mean that he did exist. He goes, however, then he stops and he pauses for a second. He goes, kind of like the theory of evolution. If every single major scientist in the world and every major university believes that evolution is true, that doesn't mean it is true. But if you have a different opinion, Bart Ehrman says, you better have a pretty good piece of evidence yourself. And so I think that what we see here is this, is just because the vast majority of people in the world are religious or believe in God, that does not mean that God exists. However, it should cause us to ask the question, why? If, if, if it is such a ridiculous thing, like the tooth fairy, that is often thrown my way, it's just you're believing in magic, you're believing in fairy tales and myths. If it really is as ridiculous as believing in the tooth fairy, why do we see billions of people around the world believing in the existence of a god? And why do we see it not just among, you know, people who are uneducated? We see PhDs, really smart people, many, multiple degrees. I just became aware of someone that has 11 earned degrees, like four or five, six master's degrees and five doctorates. And he believes in God. You can't claim that he's not educated, right? Why is it that super smart scientists and philosophers and theologians and, and all these different areas of people and billions of them, why do they believe in some sort of God? That should, I think, at least probe that sort of question. So while it is not evidence that it is true, it's not proof that it's not true, it doesn't follow logically, therefore it is true. 
it at least causes me to go, man, there, there seems to be something more than simply just ridiculous nonsense. It's just simply fairy tales. And so that's where I would kind of push back is the fact that it is so widespread isn't proof that God does exist. But we should ask the question, man, why do so many people believe in him? What, what has happened? What is going on here? He then goes off to, in the next section to talk about how beliefs do not influence physical reality. He says, throughout history, popular beliefs have been proven wrong repeatedly as new evidence comes to light. Geocentrism is the example that he gives. Talked about that one. He then says, uh, science fiction author Philip K. Dick once stated, reality is that which, when you stop believing in it, doesn't go away. This touches on the heart of the argument of populum fallacy. Physical reality does not require belief to sustain it. And belief will not modify the rules of the universe. So this is what I think is so important here, is that your beliefs do not change the rules of the universe, and we need to do the best that we can to find good reasons to support the beliefs that we have. And this is where I just want to offer a, a word of encouragement to everyone who's listening. Christians and non-Christians, consider the evidence. Think about how you are forming the beliefs and consider about how you're even forming your objections. I just got a message from an atheist today who was asking for evidence for something, and I presented a peer-reviewed journal for the evidence. Right? He wanted peer review. He says, nothing is peer reviewed. I said, here's your peer reviewed journal. I provided it. And then it instantly kind of comes back. He goes, oh my goodness. Well, that journal is supported by this Christian group. So clearly that's ridiculous. And it can't be trusted. And it's not credible. Well, look, that is called a fallacy. Uh, that's called the genetic fallacy, right? To discredit something based on its origin, where it comes from, you can't do that. You can't discredit something. Just because a Christian group said something doesn't mean it's false. And Christians, just because an atheist group says something doesn't mean it's false. If you dismiss a conclusion simply based on the person who said it, that is the genetic fallacy. That's a fallacious way to argue. You actually have to have evidence and reasons for why the uh, conclusion is false. Now, this atheist did come back after I pointed this out and said, well, why are you deleting my comments? Because I provided that evidence and I never saw it. So maybe YouTube deleted it. I don't know, because I don't delete comments on my videos. I Unless they're like super offensive and you're cursing at me or something like that, they'll get deleted. Um, but that never, I almost never happens. YouTube must have done something. I didn't see it. Um, and so this is just a, a helpful encouragement that I think that we need to base our ideas, our understandings based on things that have good reason to believe are true. And when we discredit someone, you don't discredit them simply because they're an atheist or a Christian. Uh, you discredit them because of the evidence that they have is insufficient, or you have counter evidence that actually shows that their statement is false. Um, our beliefs do not make something true. And 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 so again, like I, I, I came across this all the time with students where it's like, well, you just believe in God, and so he exists for you, but I don't believe in God. And I would constantly ask my students, like, how is it the fact that my belief in something, or someone in this case, has the power to bring that person into existence? Since when do our beliefs have the ability to bring a person into existence? Or if you don't like someone and you wish that they didn't exist, do they just poof and they disappear? Of course not. My belief that God does exist in no way has the ability to bring him into existence if he doesn't already. And the atheist belief that God does not exist in no way has the ability to take him out of existence if he does. And so, again, this is a, a wrong way to argue. 
And so this is where me and our men can lock arms and agree that your beliefs do not influence physical reality. And either God exists or he does not, independent of our beliefs. And therefore, we have to do the work of finding evidence and good reasons to believe whether he does or does not exist, and then base our beliefs on that. Um, I think when we have knowledge, knowledge is a justified, I think knowledge is defined as a justified true belief. When I say I know something, I'm saying it is true. I have evidence to justify it. And I believe it. Um, and that's what it means to claim knowledge. And so we need that evidence that support those reasons. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Armin goes on in this chapter. And again, I only have a little bit more to say, I think. Uh, so I'll get to your questions if you have those. Um, his next section is religious belief is widespread, but specific beliefs are not universal. And I think this even kind of comes back to a comment I see here uh, that came in on the live stream of since there are dozens of versions of Christianity and other religions show that only one of their gods exists. That's good. Um, so let me talk about what our men said, and then I'll come back to that question. Um, he says uh, here in this section, if God were truly responsible for religions being so widespread, wouldn't it make sense for those religions to have more in common? Most religions claim that theirs is the only true religion. Ultimately, if religion is meant to describe something that exists in physical reality, rather than subjective mental or emotional truth, every conflicting religion cannot be correct, and it's possible that all of them are wrong. Again, I will say, yes, I agree to that. All religions cannot be true. Each religion has a mutually exclusive claim, or they make claims that contradict each other, and they cannot all be true. So it cannot be true uh, of a theistic religion that says there is a God, a monotheistic religion, there's only one God, and polytheistic religions that says there's many gods, and also atheism that says there is no God. Those views all can't be true at the same time. They contradict each other. Uh, Christianity says Jesus is God. Uh, Judaism and Islam do not believe that Jesus is God. He was only a prophet. Well, those can't both be true at the same time. So if Jesus is God, then Christianity would be true, and Islam and Judaism would be false. And if Jesus is not God, then either Islam or Judaism are true, and Christianity would be false. This is where we have to recognize, and this is sometimes where people say, wow, that's so intolerant. <laughs> that's how truth works, right? Like I'm saying, look, if Jesus is not God, then I'm wrong. That's just how it works. These claims are mutually exclusive. And so it's not subjective or emotional truth. It's not just because I believe it or I think it or because I'm really strongly tied into it doesn't make it true. Um, it's possible, or at least as he says here, all religions cannot all be correct. So maybe if one is right, all the others are wrong, or they are all wrong. Absolutely. However, let me come back to the first comment. He says, if God were responsible for religions being so widespread, wouldn't it make sense for those religions to have more in common? I think there's a lot more in common than we often think about, especially within different groups of Christianity, as the question that came in from Falcon 1. However, um, I, I don't expect there to be more in common, right? Because Romans chapter 1 says that God has made his invisible nature, his, his eternal power, clearly seen through the things that have been made. And so if God's power is seen in the things that have been made, then it makes sense why people would look at the things that have been made and see power. And so we have these Greek gods and Zeus and all this kind of stuff that people create to say, well, there's something so powerful here. Um, but what we have to recognize with this question is I don't think it makes sense that we would have more in common because each person is around the world and at the time that they're living is kind of, in one sense, and let me qualify this and if, uh, hear me out to the end, is kind of 
creating their own idea based on the revelations that's been given to them, right? So in the same sense as if you know me through YouTube, then you're like, who's Ryan Pauly? Ryan Pauly's a YouTuber. But you ask my students, and it's like, well, no, Ryan Pauly's a teacher. And you ask my son, it's like, well, Ryan Pauly's a father. And you ask my wife, Ryan Pauly's a husband. You ask my parents, Ryan Pauly's my son, right? And, and each person and like someone like my wife or my parents are going to have a lot more information about, about me and what I do. Uh, but then others are going to have different things that um, are maybe different, right? Where it, it's not, you know, I'm a YouTuber and I'm a speaker and I'm a, a father and I have these differences. The question is this, is are the differences that are believed about me contradictory? Right. And if they are, then they, those differences all can't be true. So if someone says, uh, Ryan is married, and someone else says, Ryan is not married, those both can't be true about me. But if different people have different ideas of who I am based on how they interacted with me, those can all be true ideas, yet be different, if that makes sense, right? If you interact personally with me, you can have that personal interaction, like, man, I had this interaction with Ryan, this is who Ryan is, and that may be true. Someone else had a different interaction, and that also may be true, and they're not contradictory. And so, in one sense, I'm not surprised if God has kind of, in a general sense, revealed himself that there's a lot of really crazy and contradictory views about God when we look at different religions. That absolutely is true. That people are trying to grab or trying to understand the world around them and, and posit these sort of deities, but then they kind of construct their view of God based on their cultural circumstance. Now, this is a, a previous point that Armin makes in his chapter. He says one of the problems with making this argument that religion, uh, the God exists because religion is so widespread, as he says here, it ignores the historical and cultural context in which religions formed and changed throughout the centuries. The worlds and cultures did not independently arrive at religious beliefs that, uh, and stick with those beliefs unchanged. Instead, religions were frequently formed through complicated circumstances, invasions, militaristic takeovers, and ideas were stolen, borrowed, and modified by conquering nations. Look, the, the option here on the table is that either religions is created or it's discovered. It's either invented by humans or we discovered it. Now, my argument as a Christian would be that Christianity is a discovered religion, that God revealed it and we discovered it. And therefore, since Christianity is, is true, any religion uh, that uh, contradicts it is by definition false. And then also then created. I think that, you know, Joseph Smith created Mormonism. I think that a lot of these other religions are created, maybe based on things that people kind of see around them. But ultimately, it is an invented, created religion. And again, it's, it's not an all or nothing. It's not either it was created or invented. For each specific religion, yes. But as a whole, you can't say because all these other religions are created, therefore Christianity was too. It's possible for one to be discovered, the true account of reality, and the rest are created. It's possible that they're all created. Uh, they can't all be discovered because they contradict, if that makes sense. And so that's where I would say, yes, I'm, I'm not surprised. Um, that religions have a lot of differences because I think a lot of people were influenced by their cultures in how they created and invented the things. So based on the things that are going on around them, they, they create religions that address those sort of issues. Absolutely. But that doesn't, you can't then take that and then say, and I don't think our men is necessarily doing this here, but you can't then take that and say, therefore, all religions are created and therefore all of them are false. Um, I'm just using this to help answer the question of, if God really is responsible for religion being so widespread, wouldn't it make sense for those religions to have more in common? Not necessarily. God has revealed himself, and then 
people have the freedom then to really take uh, their ideas other places um, and, and to vent and to go from there. And that's where we have to evaluate each one on its own. Um, he then goes on and says, similar to the evolution process of living beings, it's possible that religions have evolved as a self-replicating set of ideas in a way that takes advantage of natural uh, sentiments and desires to increase the rate in which they spread while disguising their true nature. Now, here's the interesting point I want to point out here. Uh, and notice how this works, and maybe in other areas in which you're doing. I'm trying to draw principles out of these chapters as well. He says, it is possible that religions have evolved. True. And then he says, he quotes Daniel Dennett, says, if some religions are culturally evolved parasites. Okay, and then he goes on. And then the conclusion he draws at the end, this is all in one paragraph. Then the conclusion he draws at the end of the paragraph is the religions that we have today are a small faction of the religions that have existed throughout human history. The ones that we are left with have survived because they have more effectively adapted to the to attract and hold the allegiance of many people. So he says it's possible they've evolved if some religions have evolved and then therefore says they have evolved, they have adapted. I don't think saying it's possible, and if this is true, is support for the conclusion that it is true. Does that make sense? Like, if you're going to show that religions have evolved, then there needs to be clear evidence of their evolution, not just saying, well, it's possible they have. Right? That's where it doesn't fit. So is it possible that religions have evolved? Sure. And some have. And I think some way that he might say Christianity has evolved because Christianity holds to what is called progressive revelation, that God did not reveal himself fully and completely from the very first verse of the Bible. Uh, there are things like Jesus being God that was not revealed till later, and there's ideas and doctrines that took a while to flesh out. It's not changing, but it's being added to, or maybe some ideas are changing, but ultimately being added to and adjusted based on how God is revealing himself at that time. Again, just like in a conversation that if I have, the more time I spend with you, the more maybe your idea of me is, is more complete, is more full. You have more knowledge of who I am and you know deeper things about me. In one sense, you could say that's evolving or changing, but in another sense, you could say it's just growing and deepening, not necessarily changing in this different way. And so, um, again, I would agree with him here that, yes, many religions have evolved. Many religions are based on culture. Many religions are adapting to their cultural moment. However, the ones that we have left, he says, are only left because they adapted effectively. And I would say, or the ones that we have left are left because they're true. Like, isn't that another possibility? Isn't it possibility that, let's say for Christianity, that it is so widespread and has lasted persecution and has lasted the time and has lasted through so much because it's true, because people actually are experiencing the risen Jesus, people are experiencing transformed lives. People are experiencing forgiveness from sin. People are actually seeing the evidence and going, wow, that does make sense. I do think that it leads to these sort of conclusions. And for that reason, isn't it possible for that reason? That's why it's happening. If now both of those are possibilities on the table, then can we simply at that point to say, therefore, no, those are both possibilities. And so we need to look at the claims of people and what they're going through um, to, to try to understand that. And so just because it's possible doesn't mean that it's true. Hopefully that makes sense. He goes on in the next paragraph, says, researchers at Ohio State University have identified 16 separate psychological desires that motivate people to seek religion, such as honor, idealism, acceptance, interdependence, and fear of death. 
it's likely that religious beliefs have been so widespread because they tap into the psychological desires of many people, not because of their external proof of their veracity. And that's the last sentence of this chapter. Now, this is, again, where it's just such an interesting thought that he brings out, where there are desires that we have. And there's arguments for Christianity based on the argument for desire. I interviewed uh, Dr. Greg Gansel on the argument from desire, where C.S. Lewis lays out this idea that we have these, these deep desires, like uh, a desire for food and, and our hunger is because there's food and thirst and because there's water. And so if we have these desires that are not satisfied by physical things of this world, then maybe that's evidence that we're created for a different world that will satisfy those things. We have a desire for justice. We have desires for love. We have desires for truth. We have desires for equality. We have these deep desires for good things. And is it not possible that we have these because God has actually built those into us? And so absolutely, there is a a beauty of Christianity that is not just intellectually satisfying to many people, but it is also emotionally satisfying and it's psychologically satisfying. That, That it kind of is this whole package that you get. And this is one of the pushbacks that I have with an atheist naturalist story where I had this conversation again with the faithiest atheist. And it came out in that conversation where, look, if there is no objective morality, if there's no ultimate right from wrong, then, then what do you say to the little girl who, who gets diagnosed with some terrible, horrible disease and, and, and dies a painful death? Or the, the little girl who is molested and abused by some man and you just go and then dies and is murdered. You just go, well bad luck? Is there no sense of justice? Does that guy ever going to get punished? Is she ever going to get rewarded? Like, like, where is that? And there's these deep desires. And it's like, yeah, sometimes those desires are nice, but ultimately, yeah, no. The, and he said, yeah, it's, it's, you have to go back to figure out exactly what he said. But yeah, it's just, those are just desires that we have that probably, you know, don't, don't get fulfilled in a sense. I think that's where you can say that Christianity has maybe a more complete package or a more complete story. And it's not that we ignore evidence and just go, well, it makes me happy and it satisfies my desires and therefore, but it is all of the above. It is emotionally satisfying. It's intellectually satisfying. It's, it, it's, it's uh, psychologically satisfying. It, it really does address the human problem. It really does provide a solution to the human problem. It is the complete story of reality. I think that's a benefit to the Christian story. And so while... Are there some people that simply accept it because of fear of death? Yes. Are there some people that accept it simply because it makes them happy? Yes. Are there some people that accept it simply because they're accepted into a community and therefore they just want to be part of the community? Sure. But are there others that accept it because of external proof of their veracity? Yes. And are there some that it's in all of the above? Absolutely. And so, again, I don't think that we can say, here's how many people, uh, why many people seek religion. And therefore, um, you know, that's everybody. Um, I don't think it is. And so uh, I, I want to agree as I kind of close off this thought. I, I want to agree with this chapter that your beliefs do not change reality. Just because you believe God does exist doesn't mean he does. And just because you don't believe he doesn't doesn't mean he doesn't. Uh, we need to look at evidence. But there's other ways, there's other types of evidence than simply scientific evidence. There are philosophical arguments. I think there's deep desires within us that can be satisfied and, and met. Um, you know, for example, it's like, how do you know this person loves you? Because the way they make me feel comforted. 
right? Can you prove to me they love you? Maybe I can't, <laughs> but I know they do, right? I think there's things that we can say we know because of a personal experience that we have, even if I cannot prove their veracity to you, right? This is a firsthand knowledge, where I know what I dreamt. I can't prove to you what my dream was. We talked about this a little bit with the miracles. And we talked about uh, near-death experiences. I'm, I'm skeptical of a lot of near-death experiences because they can't be proven. If I just said, oh, I died and I talked to grandma while I was dead or whatever, I can't verify that. Um, but what about the things that we can verify? And I think there's things that, but just because I can't verify, I can't prove to you that I had a certain dream last night does not mean I should question that dream. It can still be a real dream that I have. And there's a difference between being able to know something is true and showing something is true. And so when we're doing apologetics, when we're having evangelistic conversations, I think we need to think about the ways in which we show Christianity to be true. Uh, but that doesn't discount or discredit you having absolutely reasonable, justified reasons that you can know Christianity is true, uh, even if that may not be able to be used as evidence. And so I think... Uh, answer prayers, and some of these things may be very true with that. So while uh, being widespread does not prove that God does exist, um, that is a fallacy, uh, I, I do think it should a cause us to ask the question, why do so many smart people from around the world, billions of people, believe this? Um, what reasons do they have, and are there some good reasons out there? So with that, let me jump through some questions again. I don't see any on Instagram if you want to post those there. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, you can click that link and join me, but I'm going to go through some of the questions that have come in. Um, since Okay, so back to Velkin 1. Since there are dozens of versions of Christianity and other religions, show that only one of their gods exists. Okay, so a short argument would be this. Um, other religions. If you can show that God does exist... And arguments like the cosmological argument, or what we just kind of discussed in part one of this uh, series of the, the teleological design argument, what we discussed last week in the moral argument, if you can show that those arguments are valid, if you're convinced by that, that there is a God, then any sort of religion or worldview that says there is no God, like atheism uh, or a postmodernism would not take a claim to that, um, uh, you can show that those are false, right? That those are not true views. Then I think you can show that uh, there is uh, these sort of arguments point back to one God, uh, not and that God is a God who transcends reality, right? Uh, speaking of the cosmological argument, right? This is the argument from the beginning of the universe, which I think is a future chapter. We haven't gotten there yet, but it's pretty much just says everything that begins to exist has a cause. Things that begin to exist have a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. So if you look at like what Stephen Hawking said, that virtually everyone now believes that all of time and space had a beginning at the Big Bang, then whatever it was that caused the Big Bang has to be timeless and spaceless. Um, if material existence, material stuff, came into existence at the Big Bang, then whatever caused it cannot be made of that material stuff. If, if time started at the Big Bang, then whatever caused the Big Bang has to be timeless, outside of time. Uh, if space came into existence at the Big Bang, then whatever caused the Big Bang has to be spaceless. And so if you have uh, this pointing to, for example, the argument would point to a Christian God, um, ultimately, uh, in the end, but you see a timeless, spaceless, immaterial being. Uh, to cause something to happen needs to be personal. So you have a personal, timeless, spaceless, immaterial being. This then would discount all the gods of the Greek religions and Roman pantheon because those are created beings. 
right? This being a an uncreated being, the uncreated creator, uh, argument from contingency would go into that. Uh, you have what is called philosophically a necessary being, something that exists necessarily rather than something that is contingent or has an explanation for its existence. And so if you use these arguments to show that what is the cause of the universe uh, is a necessary eternal being, something that is outside or transcends time, space, and matter, well, then it cannot be the, the pantheon of gods that are all created beings within the created world. And so it would show those to be false. And so this ultimately kind of gets you to kind of the a basic theism where like Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are true. Now, from then you would look at, for example, like the uh, evidence for the resurrection, where Jesus claims to be God, Jesus claimed to be equal with God, and then Jesus died and rose him from the dead. And I think that confirms Jesus' claims, because if that really did happen, and again, it's not just that the Bible says so, there's historical evidence for it. Um, if Jesus really did die and rise from the dead, then that would be kind of, in a way, God giving his stamp of approval to what Jesus said. It makes no sense for God to do a miracle, raising Jesus from the dead, if Jesus is spouting lies about God, right? For, for Jesus to be claiming to be God, if he was not, God would not then do a miracle to confirm the message that Jesus was saying. And so for Jesus to say, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am equal to be God. I and the Father are one. These sort of claims, and then die and rise from the dead, that would be a way to then say, look, Jesus really is God. Therefore, Islam and Judaism are not fully true. Um, and so that is how I would get to Christianity versus the other religions, Velkin. Now, then you say, well, there are dozens of versions of Christianity. And that's true. And now here's where I think um, we have to recognize that for something to be considered Christianity is that you are holding core Christian doctrines. This is normally the belief that there is a God, that Jesus is God, so that God is some sort of triune being, or at least Jesus is God, the Father is God, uh, the Bible being the Word of God, um, and then the fallenness of man, that we are sinful fallen people and that salvation is only found through believing in Jesus Christ, and it's through faith that we are saved. Those are kind of the core Christian doctrines. And when you look at all the different versions of Christianity, they will all agree on those points. If they don't, then they're not Christian. They may call themselves Christian, but it's, it's not because they reject a core Orthodox teaching. They're not Orthodox. Um, where they disagree is on secondary and tertiary things that are more debatable, that we're not quite sure, things that are not as clear in Scripture, and people have different ideas exactly how that works. So is the earth old or young? Well, I don't know. Christians will disagree, uh, but that doesn't change the fact that Jesus is God and died and rose from dead for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, what does it look like uh, in the book of Revelation? Is there a rapture or not a rapture? Right? Those are dis debatable things that cause different versions of Christianity. But that doesn't take away from the fact there is a central core that is true and what makes something uh, fall under the camp or fall under the umbrella of Christianity. So hopefully, Velkin, that kind of helps understanding at least how I, and you may not agree with every single argument that I presented there, and some need more fleshing out than that, but at least how I would get to why the God of Christianity is the one true God and not the other religions. And by the way, this is what William Lane Craig would do in like every single debate he had with atheists. He'd go over the cosmological argument, the design argument, the moral argument, then the argument from the resurrection, and pointing ultimately to uh, theism and then Christian theism 
through that line of reasoning. So you can go see him debate uh, Christopher Hitchens or Sam Harris or, or many others that he's debated and kind of see how he works through uh, going from theism to monotheism to kind of a Christian Trinitarian monotheism. So um, hopefully that helps. Uh, let me jump down here. Um, what do you say about the person who has no desire for the transcendental? That's such a good question. Phantom X, I love your questions. Thanks for being here. Um, I, I think I asked this to, um, to Greg Gansel when I had the conversation, the argument from desire. I was like, what about the people who like don't think about these things? And his whole point is like, they just haven't been asked the right questions because everyone does desire something that is beyond. Everyone has these deep desires, these longings inside of them, and they just have to be awakened. And so he goes, look, if you ask someone like, man, if you had all the money in the world, what would you do with it? Like, that's all of a sudden going to make people go, you know what I would do? I would want to feed the home. I would want to you know, feed starving children. I would, and all of a sudden, like these true desires they have to take care of people or, or things that are in a sense beyond them. I think, uh, I think that we have that. I think often we are far too easily entertained as C.S. Lewis talked about, right? Where the, the kid would rather make mud pies in the slum than go on a holiday at the ocean because he just doesn't even understand that. I'm just, he's far too easily pleased. I think there are many people that are far too easily pleased that we are too surrounded by our technology and our entertainment and constant input that we're not taking time to actually think and process this stuff. And I think that if we ask the right questions and awaken something that is there but is sleeping, I think it does point to people really do care about this stuff or at least have those thoughts. Maybe they don't care, but they at least have these sort of thoughts. Um, and again, the, the transcendentals, as you say there, how do we, someone has no idea for the transcendental, the transcendentals, and I think this is different than what you're talking about, but the transcendentals are truth, goodness, beauty, right? Those are considered the three transcendentals. And I would argue that everyone has a desire for the transcendentals. We all want truth. We disagree on maybe what it is and how you get it. But I think we have a desire for truth. We hate it when people lie to us. And maybe we lie. And maybe the person doesn't have a problem lying to others. But if you lie to him, if you cheat him, you, you steal from him, you do something wrong to him, that person's going to be upset. And that's why uh, it's often said you don't judge uh, what a person believes based on how, what they say, but by, and not even by how they act, but how they react. Right? It's not what they say. It's not how what they do, but how they react. That's where you really learn what someone believes. And I think that when you lie to someone, when you cheat them, if they went to the airport and the airport said this plane is flying to uh, California uh, and then instead it takes you to New York, I think a lot of people would be upset. Now, maybe some people would be like, oh, cool, vacation to New York, I'll take it. Um, but, you know, you, 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 you have those sort of things. A doctor says you're healthy when you're actually sick. People would be upset by that. Because I think people do have a deep desire for the transcendental of truth. I think goodness in the same way. I think beauty in the same way. We're just naturally drawn to beauty. Uh, we like good stuff. Because it's good. Because it's beautiful. And so I, I, would, I, I think that the person who doesn't have a desire for those, I think it is, as I said, sleeping, dormant. Um, I think ultimately, again, because I also believe that Christianity is true and that God has created us in his image, I think that is something that is built into all of us. And uh, therefore, that's, again, why I think that we see this in virtually everyone. 
um, that this is a truth of reality, that we're drawn to these things that are beyond us. We're drawn for, for justice. We're drawn to love. We're drawn to truth. We're drawn to mercy. and We're drawn to these things because they're actually good. And therefore, that's what we see a culture constantly fighting different uh, uh, fights and different movements are starting trying to get equality and justice and all this sort of stuff. And, and it's because we want goodness and we want fairness and we want these things because we are drawn to this. We have a distorted picture. We have a difference on exactly what it looks like. But I do think there's that built in desire in us. And again, that's why I think going back when Christianity can actually satisfy the desire, you have a desire for justice and Christianity will actually give you justice. God at the final judgment will ultimately set all things right. We actually have our desires satisfied rather than I think in a naturalistic, secular, atheist view, there are going to be wicked, evil people that just die and never get punished. And there's going to be wonderful, good people that just die and never get rewarded. There's no sense of ultimate justice. And I think that's why when people go, man, why do good things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? The common question, argument against God is why God allows evil. Why does that upset us? Right? Why, why is the problem of evil such, why is it the biggest argument against Christianity? Because people don't like when they see someone who is, in their eyes, a good person getting something bad happen to them. That is unfair. We want fairness. And I think ultimately in a secular atheist view, ultimate fairness will never happen. Because if we don't achieve that fairness here by punishment or reward and that person dies, you just got unlucky. Christianity actually satisfies those desires. Again, which is, I think, an aspect pointing to confirmation of its truth. It, it can satisfy us. It passes all the tests. Let me just finish with this. And if there's any other questions, I don't see anything that comes in. Let me just finish with this. One of the books that I used to teach from uh, gives four tests to see if a worldview is true. And there was the test of, um, of reason. Is it even reasonable? Or is it completely fallacious? Is it logically contradictory, right? Uh, does it pass the test of reason? Um, number two, the test of the outer world. It, does it have external evidence to support it? There's the test of the inner world. Does it satisfy my deep longings, desires, aspirations, those sort of things? And then lastly, there's the test of the real world. Now, apply these ideas to the real world. What are the consequences? And that's where I would say, uh, yes, it shouldn't only be the inner world. Well, it makes me happy, and therefore it's true. But when you look at all four, you say Christianity, I think, is reasonable. I don't think it's logically contradictory. I think it's logically consistent. There may be some difficult parts, but I think they can be explained. I think when you do the test of the outer world, there is evidence to support the claims of Christianity. When it passes the test of the inner world, it does satisfy our deep longings and desires. And I think it passes the test of the real world. Christian morality put into actual practice. People often get mad at Christians and in, in, in the way they act. And I think it's because Christians are not acting in a way that's consistent with Jesus. Right, if people actually live consistent with Jesus and loved one another and were compassionate and loved their enemy as themselves and these sort of things, um, if Christians, if people lived out a Christian sexual ethic, there would be no STDs and there'd be no divorce and there would be no cheating on husbands and wives, no unfaithfulness, there'd be no uh, molestation, there'd be no abuse, there'd be no any of this stuff. Christian ideas actually put into practice 
would make the world a much better place. And you have secular historians agreeing with this, that it's because of Christian ideas that's led to our education system, where we want people to be educated so they're not taken advantage of. It's led to our healthcare system, where we want to heal people because bodies are valuable, and we want to bring restoration and healing to people, and therefore uh, we have uh, uh, health systems. Uh, Christians have led to the abolition of slavery and the women's and children's rights and all these sort of things. And, uh, you know, atheist scholars like uh, Tom Holland wrote the book Dominion, where he talked about it's because of Christianity that has given us everything good in our culture. Again, he says that doesn't make it true, but you can't take away from the fact that Christian ideas applied to the real world consistently bring benefits to people. And so I think uh, that's where we, we look at all four tests. And I would argue that Christianity passed all four tests and therefore uh, is true. Um, isn't the desire for justice just what Armin was talking about? Um, I don't know what part, if you're talking about this week or last week, um, on that desire for justice. Um, but again, I think where, let me, as you uh, maybe clarify, uh, if it's about last week, yes, it's justice, but the question is, um, do we have a, a foundation, right? Uh, an atheist can fight for justice and a Christian can fight for justice, but then we can ask the question, why is justice good? And I think it's only a Christian that can give an answer to that. Um, that has a, an explanation that transcends because I like it or because it helps me or because it helps our culture because it, and it's like, well, but why that? Um, and it's ultimately because God is just that therefore justice is good. Um, and so, uh, yeah, our desires don't change reality, but when our desires match reality, when, when our desires are fulfilled, I think that's a beautiful thing. So, um, all right. Wow, I still went 51 minutes this week. So uh, with that, um, Phantom X, thank you. If you have any last comments, uh, throw those in there. Uh, but again, I, I appreciate your questions. Man, your questions are so thoughtful and so good. I, I appreciate you coming every week uh, and throwing those out there. I really do. Uh, um, enjoy it and look forward to it. Everyone else, thanks for being here. Slam, thanks for being here. Wesley, everyone over on Instagram. I don't know if anyone's still watching. Uh, but and everyone who watches after the fact, thanks for being here. Again, let me just throw it out. This weekend, the Maven Conference, Southern California, Laguna Hills, on the Authority of Scripture, Jay Warner Wallace, Kathy Cook, Brett Kunkel, Eric Taunas, um, Jonathan Morrow, and more. Uh, use the code THINKWELL25 for 25% off at checkout. You can go to mavenconferences.com for more information, as well as join me this summer. There's a full ride opportunity for high school and college students to head out to Utah with me this summer, July 14 to 20. You can go to maventruth.com slash open enrollment to get more information on that scholarship. And if you apply for it and don't get it, you still get a $200 discount on the trip. Feel free to reach Reach out to me on social media, RyanPolly3, for more information on any of those things, uh, or comment on YouTube, and I'll be happy to answer any questions you have. Uh, email ryan at think-well.org. Um, as always, uh, more videos are going to pop up here on the side uh, and hopefully give you more content addressing more issues, helping you think well about the Christian faith and think well about culture so you can more effectively engage the culture for Christ. Um, and, uh, oh, I, yeah, thank you, Phantom, for uh, appreciate that. Yeah, super exciting. Um, I just signed my first author contract. I'm going to be contributing a chapter to a book on artificial intelligence. It's set to come out in December titled Stewarding 
AI, faithfully using creation resources. Uh, and I've been tasked with uh, the, the topic of writing on a theology of technology and how uh, when we understand how God has created us to be, how he has created us to, to live, and how he has created us to relate, then that will give us a framework on how to contain or use technology that will lead to true lasting human flourishing. Uh, and that when we don't use our technology and our artificial intelligence for those reasons, uh, we often see what's happening around the world where there's depression, anxiety, and a lot of issues and hurt and damage coming from uh, different things like social media and different technologies. So I am super pumped. Uh, there's no way I could have written a whole book, so I'm excited that someone came and just offered me one chapter. Uh, that's manageable. That's doable. And so, um, yeah, that is due September 4. So you can be praying for me. Um, and sending me resources uh, as I uh, study, as I research, as I prepare uh, and write that chapter, do September 4, and then hopefully having the release of the book in December of this year, 2024. So thank you, Phantom X, uh, for the congratulations on that deal. Super pumped and excited about it. And um, yeah, so with that, with all those things said, Thank you for joining me this week. Uh, next week, again, not another chapter from this book, but I'm going to be having a conversation with Tim Whitaker from the New Evangelicals on how different perspectives on uh, cultural issues. And so it's going to be a fun one uh, and hopefully encouraging to you and trying to model a uh, framework for discussions and conversations with someone who um, who disagrees and someone who thinks very differently. So uh, looking forward to having that next week. And until then, uh, like, subscribe, do all those fun things, share it with a friend or family. And uh, uh, thank you for, for joining me and being here uh, in this video. I will have, uh, I don't know what I was just going to say. Have a good day. See you next week. Bye, everybody. See you this weekend. I just Won't hesitate to follow. Your love will guide me.